Welcome back to another one of the SIDRAP CWD Resource Center podcast. Today we're very fortunate to have with us one of the true wildlife experts in the United States, uh, someone who has had extensive experience in this area, uh, Russ Mason, who is the executive in residence and adjunct professor at Michigan Department of Natural Resources and Michigan State's University's College of Agricultural and Natural Resources. Russ has had a long and illustrious career in the wildlife management area uh, with lots of experience starting back in 1995 when he was a supervisor research biologist with the USDA Wildlife Services in Utah, also was the administrator of the Utah State University Field Station of the Wildlife Research Center. And then he moved down to Fort Collins where he was the Mammals Research Program Manager with the USDA Wildlife Services in Fort Collins from 2001 to 2004. And then uh, became game chief of the Nevada Department of Wildlife in 2005 and 2008. Um, he's been the chief of the Michigan's DNR Wildlife Division starting in 2008 until his recent new position, where now he is, in fact, an executive in residence and adjunct professor at uh, Michigan State University. Russ, thank you for being with us today. That's a pleasure. You make me sound, uh, I'd say, colorful. You can say illustrious if you like. Okay. I, well, I do because uh, as someone who uh, is more on the public health side, uh, your reputation has preceded you for some time, and in particular in the area that we're going to talk about today is chronic wasting disease, the leadership position that you've taken in helping uh, Michigan uh, respond to this issue. And so we couldn't, couldn't think of a better person to help give some perspective today on the whole area of wildlife management and, uh, and the issue around CWD. So, but to begin with, to help the audience um, uh, better understand what you've done and where you've kind of been over the course of your career. Um, how did you get to your current position in terms of, of experience and where you're seeing your career going now? Well, uh, you know, as, as you indicated in describing me, I've had a, a variety of roles and a variety of agencies over my career and dabbled in and out of academics uh, over time. Something that I think has become well, to me, it's, it's obvious, I think, is that there's a, a greater need to, to uh, bring together research and managers. Uh, you know, over time, management and research have kind of gone in, in, in different directions. So if you go to the Wildlife Society meetings, for example, which is at one time was, you know, uh, where researchers and managers in the field gathered almost exclusively the individuals that attend that are our research scientists, mostly from universities. Conversely, if you go to the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agency meetings, which are held annually, almost exclusively they are managers or agency folks without much input from researchers. So there's this, this need, I think, to bring those two areas back together again, uh, particularly when we address things like CWD, diseases like CWD, where it represents an existential challenge to to agencies at the same time that uh, there's this desperate need for for additional information about effective management strategies in the field, as well as knowing more about the fundamentals of the disease. Well, as someone uh, such as myself who spent 25 years at the Minnesota Department of Health as a state epidemiologist while also associated with the University of Minnesota and now here back full time, I can completely understand and get your uh, connection here between trying to bring these different worlds together, and uh, I applaud your efforts there. So, And this obviously leads to, you know, from the standpoint of what you have been involved with, why is CWD such a challenging disease to manage uh, in, in service? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge deal, 
across the country, especially in Midwestern states, because uh, it attacks it attacks uh, the agency, it attacks the agency's economics, it attacks attacks hunting culture. So this is a disease where uh, ultimately it encourages or could encourage hunters not to hunt. That's a huge deal in a place like Michigan or perhaps Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, Wisconsin, or Minnesota, where the majority of revenue that comes into the agency, most state agencies, wildlife agencies are user paid. Most of the revenue that comes in is from the sale of deer licenses. And CWD challenges that that revenue stream. And that's important because the revenue isn't just for deer, it's for all wildlife. So revenue that comes from deer hunters is matched to Pittman-Robertson dollars from the federal government. Pittman-Robertson fund is a as an excise tax on firearms, ammunition, bows and arrows and so forth. Those dollars then support all kinds of conservation, whether that's for endangered species, habitat management for non-game species, uh, game species management, of course, and, and a variety of other activities. Um, so we have a we have a, sort of a, a funding model, a business model for most of these agencies that is premised on deer. And so we have a, an increasingly uh, desperate need to find solutions or mitigating strategies for this disease. Well, as someone who has been uh, widely recognized for both your knowledge and management skills in the wildlife area, and I would add also your leadership uh, capability, you have been a, a, a voice that has uh, been willing to kind of put yourself out there and raise some of these issues. What do you see the challenges are today to how we're going to fund the response to CWD when, in fact, it's been balanced on the back of your license fees uh, which we know cannot continue uh, in terms of uh, an effective management response. Well, the, the really fundamental issue, it's not just CWD, but it's wildlife health or wildlife disease in general. Mostly, if you look over the last 25 or 30 years, there have been pulses of funds that are made available to agencies, whether federal or state, to address wildlife disease. You know, a couple of decades, well, a decade ago, it was avian influenza, and there was... Uh, a lot of furor and some funding that came became available to state agencies and to the feds. And after a while, it became clear that it, perhaps the threat wasn't immediate. Those funds disappeared. Likewise for CWD, you know, uh, a couple of decades ago, there were the initial cases. There was some real concern around the disease. You know, when it first appeared in Colorado and Wyoming, there were funds made available. There were large symposia that brought together experts from across the country. But over time, uh, those funds dissipated. The ability to actually better understand the disease and come up with strategies disappeared. Now, more recently, again, we have the disease in, I guess it's 26 states, several Canadian provinces, several foreign countries. So once again, this disease has become uh, extremely important to uh, everyone. And we are desperately trying to come up with uh, strategies to management. You know, I, I mentioned one of the issues, of course, is keeping hunters hunting in the face of a disease. That is frightening. Uh, another is just managing the disease. So in Michigan and many states, we'll say uh, we want hunters to, to test their deer in areas where the disease is known to be present. We want them to bring samples to us. And... Uh, you know, the test itself costs, say, $17, $18 to us. So that doesn't sound too bad, but the hidden costs are enormous. So 
to test a deer in the state of Michigan, if you add, you know, staffing a, a check station, collecting the head, transporting the head to the laboratory, extracting the tissue, and testing the tissue, incinerating what you don't test, that's about $120 a deer. Now, a combination deer license in the state of Michigan is about $40. What that means is you're recouping one-third of your car. You know, you're spending two times more per, per deer tested than you're actually bringing in. And the consequence of that is that resources that are available for conservation in general are disappearing and all of our resources are focused in on testing deer for CWD uh, because the disease, you know, part of it is, is surveillance, but also we want hunters to feel that they're, well, we, we want hunters to know as best we can provide the information to them that the deer are safe. So that's, that's a huge challenge for us as well. Yeah, look at the other end of this. It turns out in Michigan, something less, just just less than 50% of our hunters only use processors. In southern states, it's probably a supermajority. In Tennessee, it's probably more than 70%. And there's challenges with disposal of carcasses. Uh, some of the large uh, landfill companies are reluctant to take deer that haven't tested negative for CWD. So what happens if those processors go out of business? Uh, again, you know, there are all kinds of challenges, whether it's actually doing the testing, getting people to buy licenses, um, a lack of another funding model for conservation in North America. All of these are huge challenges for agencies as, as we confront a disease that apparently continues to expand without uh, us being able to do much about it. And then add to that the fact that a lot of our hunters I fundamentally distrust government. I mean, that's as it turns out, there are a lot of people that distrust government. And the messages that we're talking to them about, you know, we want to reduce deer numbers in certain areas, or maybe we want to reduce certain, you know, sex classes or age classes. Hunters are very resistant to those messages. If we say we want to use sharpshooters to locally reduce populations in an area, typically in this state and other states, uh, landowners and hunters are very resistant to using the, the strategies. The few things that we know actually do manage the disease. So not only is there this economic challenge, but we are we are creating l greater divides, I guess you'd say, between the agencies that are responsible for managing the resource and then the folks that are buying licenses and, and paying for it. Well, it, you know, that's a, a, a kind of a segue here into the, the next question is, why should people, both hunters and the general public, care about CWD? I think they should care about it, because, well, for any number of reasons. Let's, let's start with the obvious one. Uh, there are a lot of people that appreciate deer, and in western states, uh, in Colorado and Wyoming, it's, it's pretty clear that uh, the disease could lead to a uh, much lower number you know, essentially extirpate local populations of deer, which in turn uh, eliminate that opportunity. In the Midwest, it might just be that the age structure in the population is suppressed because fecundity is much higher here in the Midwest than it is in the West. So one reason to care is because it's going to have a fundamental impact on a species that is enormously popular with both the hunting and the non-hunting public. Another reason is that... Uh, Regardless of whether or not you, you hunt, uh, people do enjoy wild places. They do enjoy uh, wildlife. They enjoy seeing it. They may not ever go out 
in, in, in hunt per se, but they enjoy all of the other benefits that agencies provide to them. And as this disease captures more and more of the resource, all of those things begin to go away for the for the American public. And so essentially the model that we have for conservation has worked very well for us for the last 120 years is going to be compromised if we if we don't find some some ways to more effectively, efficiently, and economically deal with this disease. So there's there's a, a second reason for you. And then the third reason is, you know, this is a this is a um, a disease where we know that that strains are, are proliferating, and we don't we don't know where the disease will go. Is it is it likely just to stay in deer? We know that it's jumped between cervids to moose or to reindeer or to whatever. What else could be influenced by this disease? And so there's that piece. There's the unknown about a, a very frightening form of a disease. There's the immediate impact to a resource that people value. And then there's this general impact to conservation per se, where unless we find more economical and efficient solutions, uh, the whole of North American con- conservation uh, is going to be compromised. Well, in, in following up on that, uh, as a public health practitioner, I sit here and look at this and say that if we don't sustain and maintain hunting, we're only asking for a bigger problem, even if it never jumped to any other species, because, again, the increased density is going to lead to more transmission. So hunting is clearly, from a animal health, potentially human health standpoint, a huge issue that we need to maintain. And, uh, you know, it's leadership like yours, I think, that helps give hunters more confidence that something is being done about that. So with that, I'm going to take you into an area that I'm sure that you would never have thought about before. But if we could appoint you to be the benevolent dictator of uh, wildlife management, cervid management, CWD management, what recommendations would you have for agencies and our hunters and states that haven't yet detect- detected CWD yet? What would you tell them that they need to do? Uh, I guess that the, it's the same answer I would give to a, to a state where there is disease, which is to say, do everything in your power to prevent disease from becoming established in the first place because there's scarcely any evidence that once the disease is present that we are able to impact its its etiology over time. So preventing the disease is the most important thing, whether that's um, using strategies that are effective and um, keeping the disease uh, away like, uh, I don't know, not moving carcasses, or perhaps not using baiting <coughs> as a strategy to, to bring deer together, or other things. Try to try to use all of those things to prevent it. Because once again, once the disease is present, uh, whether established or not, it becomes much more difficult to manage in, in, in any way. And the etiology of the disease, wherever it has become present, is uh, both frustrating and depressing because it seems it only increases in overall frequency and in the size of the infected area. So being a, a DNR in any one given state that may not have the disease, uh, you know, the primary ways that likely this uh, uh, disease is going to move great distances, at least, is movement of animals by humans, uh, whether they be alive or dead, carcasses. Of course, there is going to be the migration issue, but I think some have misunderstood that that's not like bird migration, where you and I have also had to deal with things like avian influenza, where you know, thousands of miles is not too far to move uh, a virus by birds, but cervids are not going to move thousands of miles. So given we're back to movement of animals by humans, 
any specific recommendations around what DNR agencies can do or boards of animal health in those states that have not yet had CWD in that, in that area? Well, yeah. Um, the, there are a number of states, Michigan is one of them now, where regardless of whether another state has identified CWD in free-ranging animals or not, they can't be brought into the state whole. So uh, if a hunter from Michigan goes to, I don't know, pick a place, let's say Ohio, where the disease isn't present, they cannot bring the whole deer back into the state. They can only bring back uh, deboned meat, clean skull caps. Uh, in other words, parts of the animal that are very unlikely to, to, move the, to move the disease back. I agree with you. Obviously, CWD is a disease that mostly moves with, with gasoline. It doesn't walk into a lot of places, although it could. Um, and uh, when I say preventing in, you know, import, it's not just from CWD-positive states, since the disease may very well be present in places that we haven't, we haven't detected it. Many states have a surveillance regime which is um, poor relative to the likelihood of finding disease. They may be testing 100 or 200 or 300 animals a year, maybe. In Michigan last year, we tested 35,000 animals. Basically, all that allows us to do is to say with some certainty what the prevalence is in an affected area. It doesn't say what the prevalence is at a statewide level. So as a word of caution, any, any locality, any jurisdiction should prevent whole animals from moving in, and then they should spend an awful lot of time educating the public about why that's important. And I don't think you can say that message uh, uh, often enough. Don't rely on other folks to carry the message. Uh, for example, a couple of years ago, I got a call when I was the wildlife chief, and it was uh, from a bar in Vermontville, which is southwest Michigan. And the guy said there was a mule deer lying in the ditch. And I thought, well, okay, yeah, sure. And, uh, well, we'll have somebody come pick it up. And so I made a call, and nobody went and got it. And a couple of days later, the guy calls back and says, come get this mule deer. So finally somebody goes out and it was, there was a mule deer lying in the ditch. We put out a press release about this. And as it turns out, the hunter was very responsible. A guy called and he was absolutely mortified. But what he'd done, he'd been hunting in Utah in a CWD zone, had seen this roadkill deer because he hadn't been successful, got all the necessary permits from the UDWR, put it on uh, a, a tail, uh, tailgate hitch, tied it in, and it bounced off in the middle of the night in Vermontville, Michigan. Point is that, you know, he did everything he should have done from the jurisdiction where he obtained it, but he was unaware of our carcass movement restrictions and so forth. You cannot possibly say these things often enough because many of our hunters are only paying attention for short periods of time, and the rest of the year they don't watch, read, or listen. Well, I, I kind of wrap it up here. Let me just uh, come back to a point that you are so well recognized for, and again, that reflects the, the leadership vision you've provided. But you said for some time that we really need to send a message to hunters and agencies that they need to work closely together to collect data around management regimes. Can you, can you elaborate on that? Because I think that's such an important point that we want to emphasize to, to hunters, wildlife managers. and I think it... it we couldn't say enough about that. We have, um, you know, here in Michigan, uh, we are spending a lot of money, and other states are as well, Minnesota and others, um, to try to, to get 
the research that we need. There are critical needs for a rapid animal side test, for example, or something that is faster and cheaper and perhaps more accurate than what we're using now to reduce those costs. The only way we do that is if we work closely together between the research management and legislative communities in various places to get the resources that are necessary because these aren't easy, short-term, or inexpensive fixes. So that's that's one piece. The second piece is um, to the hunting public to, to work with us and to trust the agencies that are trying to manage uh, an, uh, this disease and work with us to help us collect the data that we need, whether that's through surveillance and if we make a recommendation, to, instead of saying why it's a bad idea, uh, to, to think about it and, and try to follow through. From my perspective, that is sort of the definition of a, of a conservationist. You know, a conservationist, in my mind, is somebody who cares about the species per se more than they care about, or, or all wildlife per se, more than they care about their own recreational preferences. And so what I, if I was going to ask hunters to do something, it would be to listen carefully to the agencies, to listen to the best available advice, uh, and to, to, to use that advice. The thing I'd say to managers is pay attention to the research community. Look at the data that they're collecting. There are so many things that we don't understand about this disease, as well as other things that we should perhaps know but do not. So, for example, if we were to put in a, a regulatory scheme to produce a certain kind of harvest. Most of the time, we don't have the data afterwards to know whether that scheme actually worked because hunters or a commission will change that after a year or two. So let's hold regulations in place. Let's collect data to see whether or not they do as they're designed to do. And then let's share that across states so that not everyone has to invent the wheel. What they do in Michigan, maybe it's useful to Wisconsin and vice versa, or to Ohio or Illinois or Indiana or Pennsylvania, New York, working together across the landscape because there simply isn't enough um, wherewithal any one place to confront what really is a landscape-level problem that is probably likely to get worse before it gets better uh, uh, across the landscape. We don't even know, for example, how, how this disease moves on the landscape once an area is infected, for example, uh, deer are moving on the landscape, but who's moving the disease on the landscape? How far does it go? Uh, what's the definition of a spark? What's the definition of an outbreak? You know, we, we say we've detected an outbreak of disease. Well, all that really means to me is that you did some testing and you found it. You don't know that it's an outbreak per se. It could have been there for 30 years. Um, we don't know where the disease exists on the landscape. So, if an agency asks hunters to collect samples in an area, collect the samples and, and get it to the agency so that we can do those things. When researchers collect data, they should be bold and talk about the implications of their research in ways that the general public can understand and managers can understand. Uh, you know, this is a <laughs> this is a group effort. It is it is perfectly clear that the agencies by themselves will not solve this problem or maybe even manage it effectively. It requires real uh, investment from the research community with real dollars behind it, and it also requires that uh, the public work with the agencies and the research community to get things done, which is a real tall order given the, the difficulties that often exist with trust between the hunting community and, and the regulators. 
Well, Russ, thank you so much. It's been a real privilege to have you here today. You obviously are a real leading voice in in wildlife management and the future of it as it relates to both our regular everyday business, but also a world that now involves CWD. Remind our listeners that we've just had the opportunity to listen to Russ Mason, executive in residence and adjunct professor at the Michigan Department of Natural Resources and Michigan State University's College of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Russ, thank you so much for spending time with us today and enlightening us on uh, many of these uh, critical management issues as we are now living in the world of CWD. Well, thank well, you. thank you, Mike. You know, it's uh, it's hard to say. I don't know that I've enlightened anybody, but if I if I was able to, to convey the idea that I'm agitated about this disease and other agency professionals in the research community are agitated about this disease and that we really do need to work together, well, then I guess I've accomplished something. Well, thank you. Just know that as someone outside of the wildlife management area, I can tell you your voice is a very important one. Thank you.